Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. Learn more at fruitbowlpodcast.com. My name is Nathan. I am 37 years old, and I graduated high school in the year 2000. I grew up in Los Angeles, uh, in the Valley. And then in freshman year of high school, my mother moved us to Detroit, where she was from. Um, early 20s, like, growing as a queer person, defining myself as a queer person and an adult man, that was all San Francisco. This interview was recorded in February of 2020 in Los Angeles. My mom and my dad divorced when I was five uh, in California. Single mom, only child. I I had a stepfather figure um, after my mom and my dad divorced during my LA years, um, but in Detroit. So from freshman year of high school on, yeah, it was just the two of us. I had a very undramatic, it was just a very mellow coming out. My mom was accepting of my queer identity. I, I think that a lot was just unsaid, that was unspoken between us. I mean, I had my struggles with coming out, certainly. Um, and I had my struggles with my identity within the identity, um, especially in the Midwest, where I felt like the identity was so specific. And so there just weren't a lot of options for other variations on that. So I fought certain things. Um, but I always sort of felt like until I had a reason to tell her, uh, I wasn't going to tell her. And I, I ended up telling her when I broke up with my first boyfriend and I came home and tears and, you know, we had the moment. Um, but it wasn't like an I'm gay moment. It was like I broke up with somebody and she was like, okay, and that was it. So, you know, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't heightened, heightened drama or, you know, super difficult or anything. Um, five siblings on the mom's side tight little family unit. And when I moved to Detroit, I was around them more. I I was growing up around them, visiting. Um, I was already close with them, but it was an opportunity to get closer and be in in the same proximity. I have a gay aunt and a gay uncle. It is unique to have queer family members. I I definitely think it helped in my own process. I think that um, even as a a six-year-old, being around my aunt and her girlfriend, I don't necessarily know the context of Debbie's relationship with my aunt. I just know that it's a close relationship, but on some level, they weren't scissoring in front of me, but they also weren't keeping it a secret either. So that wasn't really necessarily explained to me at that age, Um, but I loved Debbie and like she was another aunt. And it was, you know, I grew up as an only child around a bunch of adults. So the more the merrier, more people that were there to like nurture and, you know, have dialogues with me and, you know, all of that, the better. Um, And Debbie was great with me. Uh, I don't remember my uncle's earlier partners as much. I remember them there being one in high school. But I definitely have context of like at a very early age being around my aunt's girlfriend. Although my aunt did take me once at an early age to uh, the AIDS quilt and that was pretty powerful. So I feel like she tried really hard to like step in and like show me things and, and take me to things that were appropriate. When I was 14, 15, I left a book that I had been reading uh, this Francesca Leo Block, one of the series of books that she'd written for, it was kind of a young adult series, but it was actually more complex. So some of us had found it and it was very queer in, in content. And a lot of us were reading it in high school. And she found a book that was a story about a coming out process. And she approached me about it and, you know, basically didn't out me, but like one-on-one said, if you ever need to talk to 
myself or your Uncle Matt were always here. And at the time, it totally threw me and freaked me out. And I just was like, I've been seen. Like, it was like, it was not. And I don't know if that was on her or on me or what. Um, so I didn't really utilize that resource. I was also like a punk kid and like figuring it all out. And as, as we are at that age, we think we know everything. We, we don't need help and we don't need to hear, you know. And you start to learn as you get older too that there are different kinds of gays, just like there are different kinds of straights. So I'm like, we're not necessarily the same kinds of gays. The things that I'm dealing with aren't necessarily things that they're going to relate to. And I actually found at times my straight aunts and uncles were people that I could run those things by more so and, and, and conversely with other things that were, would be surprising. So they're great. I mean, my, my gay and my gay uncle are great. It was great to have that. So many people don't have that luxury of having at least somewhat the way paved for them in their own tight family. Um, and I did. And I had that ahead of me and that I, there wasn't a huge struggle. I never had to come out to my family. I never had to come out to my grandma. I just eventually had boys on my arm. Like, it was just like, okay, whatever. I mean, so, you know, again, very blessed, very aware of how blessed that is. I don't take it for granted. It's like being raised, you know, in a city that's multicultural at an early age versus being raised in an all-white neighborhood and then interacting with multiculturalism. It's it's just a, it's a lovely blessing to have been raised around it. And you, you do see things differently. You do sort of have this lovely experience of, like, taking a lot of different things in at an early age. And yeah, I'm sure that it had a huge impact. Absolutely. I remember getting in trouble at an early age because somebody had told me what sex was, that it was the penis goes into a vagina. And I told a peer that, and then she told her parents that I told her that. So like, I do remember getting into Pokemon being like, you can't tell people that. Like, <laughs> um, and it wasn't like, you know, we like, didn't like experiment or anything, but I like, was like, oh my God, did you know? And like, you know, kids. Um, so that was probably my first, I mean, I guess that's my first memory of like, actually finding out what it was and being like, you know, oh my God. I would have been like, Six or seven, maybe somewhere in there. Seven, maybe eight. I don't know, somewhere in there. Yeah, my mom's always been good at that stuff. You know, she's a realist and she's, you know, got a great sense of humor and, you know, she's pretty open about stuff. But yeah, she was like, you know, you can't just openly talk about this stuff like that or, you know, I don't, I don't remember exactly, again, years and years and years and years ago. But I remember there being a drama about me finding out what mating was and <laughs> it being this thing. <laughs> Me and my stepdad had a talk with me, um, and it was probably around like 12 or 13, I would guess. And it was weird. I mean, I don't know. It was like, it, you know, it's straight 60-year-old Italian man talking to a 13-year-old queerdo. Of, I mean, I don't know. Like, sure, thanks. He tried. I mean, you know, it, it was always a pretty safe space. Um, my mom and I have just had a really open dialogue forever. I don't think there was ever a moment where she was like, this is, these are the birds and the bees. Um, I don't really even know what that talk is, to be honest. I don't know how one one has that talk. Uh, I feel like it's just an ongoing dialogue. But, you know, she was always honest with her own stuff with me. And and we've had, you know, growing up in, into my adult life, we've had a very, like, strangely open and honest relationship. I tell her what's going on. Like, if something happened at the STI clinic, like, oh, let her know, it's fine, like, no shame in my game, you know, if something traumatic, you know, it's, it's good to have that openness, but no, there was never a, this is how you do this talk, yeah, 
Thank God, I think. <laughs> experimentation definitely would, would have been masturbation for sure. I think I was in a sh probably in the shower and like it happened and you're just like, oh, what just happened? You know, I, I don't I don't recall learning from anyone specific about how to masturbate or how to, there was definitely not a, a mentor in that, in that regard. I mean, this is pre-internet. This was pre-anything, you know, I don't, you know, I, there was a little bit of experimentation with a couple of friends at an early age, nothing that really went anywhere, but like looking at porn together and like, I don't know that anybody knew how to do it. I don't. I mean, I, we were so young. I, I mean, like one of my friends who ended up being gay later in life. You know, we, it was in the early days of like porn on the internet. But like there were websites. You know, you, you just downloaded porn. But I think you had to like download single images. It certainly was not films. I don't think. And you know, it was just kind of like looking at stuff and getting hard and like the excitement of that. Like it wasn't. We weren't blowing each other or like fucking or anything. It was just. I don't even think we were at the point where we were like finishing or, or fully jerking off even. I think it was, there wasn't that end goal. I think it was just like eyes opening to like imagery and, and that excitement about looking at a penis or looking at, you know, a penis in a butt or like whatever, an armpit or, you know, I mean, early masturbation material too was so, was so antiquated back in those days. Like we did not have Pornhub. We did not have this stuff. We had, I had Antonio Sabato Jr. underwear ads and like weird stills from movies where like somebody's like armpit was shot. I mean, like, you know, this, the silliest little things at that age were like, whew, were like old playboys where you look at the dudes, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say probably Luke Perry was like a big early one. Like early 90210, like I definitely was like, it hit right around that time where I just was like, huh? And I was growing up in SoCal, so like surfer fetishism was like ingrained in us. Um, yeah, Dylan McKay would probably be my first like, huh? I mean, I had girl crushes, you know? I, I definitely had girl crushes. And then I had my first boy crush was probably my friend Adam, who I worked with at Hot Topic. <laughs> <laughs> at Oakland Mall in Troy, Michigan. I would have been like 16. We ended up becoming best friends, but there definitely was some, it was like that like sense of like, oh, a boy that I have things in common with and like want to make out with, you know. I told, eventually it came up, yeah. Um, but no, it was never something that was <laughs> fully fulfilled. <laughs> Love it, hot yeah. topic. Yep, hot topic. <laughs> Mid-90s, honey. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm the Spencer Gifts generation. Mm -hmm. Totally, you're Orange Julius and Spencer Gifts. <laughs> yes. yeah, I hear you. I was there too for a little bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say that I first fell for somebody um, with Adam. And I say that because that was the first time that it was beyond just a physical attraction or, you know, you were actually connecting with somebody and there was more to it and there was an intimacy there and a sharing of things and a, and a camaraderie there that I hoped to see echoed in the camaraderie of a brotherly lover relationship at some point in my life or what I, you know, hoped that, that would eventually be. But, you know, in hindsight, did I, was I in love with Adam? No. I had a really close friend that, like, opened my eyes to things and, like, helped me, like, see what it was that I wanted out of a boy, you know? And there were a couple of infatuations, for sure. Like, not, not like, obsessions, but, like, people that I 
had connections with that like felt very strong and potentially were catalysts for things in my life. But my first, I think my first long-term relationship, I would say was the first time that I, I probably felt actual love for somebody. Um, and that was, I had moved to San Francisco. Um, I was 25. I, I was fresh to the city. I had just moved to San Francisco and I went to this uh, gay punk night and met this gentleman, David, um, and he invited me to his friend Ryan's video game night party in his apartment. It should have been the first red flag. <laughs> no hating on the gamers, but ooh. And I met Ryan, and he was older, and we became close friends off the bat, and then just kind of started dating. We were together for almost two years. It was a, you know, it was a completely flawed from the beginning, like just we both bungled everything kind of relationship. Um, but my heart was broken for years afterwards. I mean, it was a really, and that's why I would say that was probably the first one because, you know, it was really like, it was that sense of like, oh, my home has just been shaken to its core. Like I've just lost so so much of, you know, not my identity, but partially at that age, yeah, part of your identity. And, you know, having moved to a new city, met somebody and investing those first two years in somebody and their life and your life together, you know, it was, it was a lot. So Ryan would probably be the first, like, love, love um, that shook me pretty hard. I was 25. I hadn't, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was new to San Francisco and was, like, starting to go to Tranny Shack and was like, oh, my God, all these things, like, uh -huh. like I'm this, like, creative faggot in this, like, wonderland of opportunity. And, it, you know, it was amazing at the time. And, and Ryan had done, been there, done that with a lot of stuff. And he wanted to, like, hang out and stay in. And I, it was just... It was a hard one to navigate, but he, he did. He won me over, and um, I've, for some reason, I have always ended up dating somebody right away when I moved to a city. Never intentional. I think you just need stability. I think you need somebody to kind of like, you're just, you're new, and you're open to that. Whether you're looking for it or not, you're just more open to it. And people can also smell fresh meat, and like, there's that too. So like, if you're open to like that connection and somebody's like sniffing around for that, like it's gonna happen, you know. And they've all served a purpose, you know. They've it's been that what you need in the moment, you know. It's always transitory. It's always flipping out and in, and you know we're not living in stagnant small towns. I guess my first sexual experience would have been, it was an online hookup through, what did we used to use? It was like AOL chat rooms. That's what it would have been. Like M for M, like AOL chat rooms. Um, yeah, we met, we must have been, we met at like a, how did we even navigate that stuff back then? I guess it was like, yeah, meet me at this this business's parking lot on whatever and whatever, like somewhere on the east side of the suburbs of Detroit, you know, like, I, I guess that's how it happened. Yeah. <laughs> no other way. It's not like there were no pins or anything. It's just like, yeah, this is whatever that laundromat was or whatever that, you know, restaurant was, who knows. And I gave a blowjob to this, like, kind of hot Keldean guy in the back of his car in a parking lot. I don't know. He got really mad at me because he came on his seat 
And I was like, just like a bullet through the seat. And I was like, it's your call. I don't know. Like, sorry. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, that would be the, the first time I had sexual engagement with another person. Um, and it was, you know, I don't know. The beginning of the end. I have no idea. Like, it was fine. It was, it was a blowjob in the back of a car. I think I just wanted to give a blowjob. I think that was like more exciting for me at that age or that that moment. Like that was more like intensive an experience, obviously, than like getting a blowjob would be. You know, I would have been like nineteen or twenty, twenty probably, um, when I first had anal sex, and that was with somebody that I met. I think it would have been through not MySpace, but it was before MySpace. Um, Friendster? Friendster, maybe. Yeah, it may have been Friendster or something, like Live Journal or something. I don't really remember. Yeah, we were kind of just like, we, I wouldn't say we were dating, but like we were two like kind of alternative, you know, gay guys that, you know, found each other. And I think he lived, he lived in, in Ann Arbor, I'm pretty sure. And it was just, you know, it just kind of happened. I don't even remember his name, to be honest. I don't remember what he looked like. Um, yeah. Like it was like behind closed doors, like intentional, like I fucked someone. Um, he was sweet. It was totally, it was fun. I am completely skipping over like a really good one, though, a really important one that was actually like, I would say in terms of my sexual awakening was probably much more significant actually. And that was this guy, Jason, that I met through Nerve Personals. If you remember, if you remember those, they were, it was like, it was an online personals thing, but it was like for alternative, like sex positive people. It was a kind of queer, but not really. And he just had this great profile, and I remember it being like a thing where I wrote him like a really like thoughtful message, like email, and then it took a while to get back, but it finally got back to me, and it was like I remember that being the moment of like <gasps> this like boy that like I think is like hot and sexy and smart is like engaging with me, like it was because Adam, you know, he was straight, it was never gonna happen, um, and I think like this was my first like oh like this is what like engaging with like a hot sexy boy is like okay cool and we i went to ann arbor and we went on a date and we had like a really hardcore like make out and dry hump session and i think that was def that was before i had i had done anything i hadn't had anal sex i don't think i had even had oral sex at that point we went to this like tea house this like coffee and tea place in ann arbor and I had tea upstairs and then i want to say we went i think we went to an arcade for like a moment, and then we like made out in his car, and then he invited me back to his apartment. <gasps> no, we had two dates. That's right, the tea date was the first time we made out in his car. Yes, and then we had a second date where we went to his apartment and we watched Loverboy with Patrick Dempsey, which is the pizza delivery, like, remember that movie? He, he, Patrick Dempsey, it's an 80s film where he delivers pizzas. He becomes a gigolo, and, but under the guise of a pizza boy, so if you order like extra anchovies, it meant like you, he was gonna pork you. And his mom ends up like ordering a pizza with extra anchovies because she's in a sexually frustrated relationship with his dad. And, like it's this whole thing. Then we watched that movie and then made out really hardcore afterwards. It's pretty great. <laughs> it's you, all coming back. <laughs> did you order a pizza that night? We did. We totally did. Yeah, totally. We ordered pizza and made out really hard. It was pretty great. <laughs> in his apartment with Christmas lights. It's pretty cool. <laughs> but it was like, just so hot like just so much fun and so like like heart racing just like 
uh, like hotty hot hot and I had such a crush I still do like Jason's one of those people that like I still know him um, you know I mean like there's not anything there but like there's still always that spot in my heart where I'm just like ugh, ugh. you know it's, it was great um, and then he moved to San Francisco it, had been, it was years until we saw each other again did you reconnect him in San Francisco? As friends, yeah. Yeah, we've remained friends. Like, I could still text him today and could hold him and say hi. So, actually, my San Francisco apartment that I was in for all eight years and that I still have, I'm a leaseholder on, um, was through him. So he kind of, when I moved to San Francisco, he hooked me up with a friend and he definitely did what, you know, he could do to help um, ease me in. Um, but he was dating somebody at the time. So, of course, I showed up and was like, hi, hi. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't easy because it, like, didn't go anywhere. And I was, like, you know, it's, it's always been, like, one of those where I was just, like, oh, it's an itch that I never got to scratch. But, no, it was definitely nicer than it could have been and is for many people, I'm sure. The most embarrassing sex hook. I mean, honestly, I know this is going to sound so, like, I just have never been in that headspace of, like, ever wanting to have sex that like is with somebody who I'm going to be embarrassed about anything with like I had one moment early on the first, I think it was one of the first times that I bottomed where I pooped on his dick and you know I was completely mortified and he didn't I remember, <laughs> I remember we had finished that aspect of it and I didn't notice that it happened and um, it, you know I noticed we were like making out of something and <laughs> there was someone on his leg and we're looking down and being like, like, just really confused. Like, what is that and why? And then like it all like sinking in and him just being like, it's cool. I just didn't want to say anything. And like, and there, it's totally cool. But he handled like such a gentleman and was so like nice about it that like, and of course I was like the one like gathering my things. And there's never been anything where I've been like, oh my God, if I could just turn back time, like whatever. Like if you pull your dick out and somebody farts, like they fart, like it, it, you're having sex. It's supposed to be goofy and... So no, nothing terribly mortifying has ever really happened. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I think I think that having that response is also valuable. Yeah. Like it's kind of a radical act to be not embarrassed by it. Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of the whole thing. It's just own it. Like there's nothing. I mean, straight people are just as filthy. Like every guess what? Your mom, she's a cum dump. Like your mom took loads. Like. I mean, that's the reality, right? It's like, it's not like it's any less dirty. It's just a different hole and a different pleasure zone. I mean, I don't know, like, give me a break. I mean, I think there have been moments where I've eased people's like jitters maybe, like going into it, but there's never been anything that's happened where I've been like, it's gonna be okay. I just tell them they're a filthy whore bottom and to get their shitty ass out of my bed. No. <laughs> You're disgusting. You should be ashamed of yourself. No, like, I mean, I've never. <laughs> I think I curate, I've always tried to curate a, a dynamic with any lover that I have where it's just, it's comfortable and it's chill, you know. I mean, I lived in San Francisco throughout my 20s as a mostly single person. So I have, I've got some, some stories for the books for sure. Yeah. Do you want to share a few? Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. So like, are we talking just like, like. Yeah, just, ones that are just interesting and yeah. like fun, fun romps. Fun romps. I mean, they're all fun, right? right. They should be. Um, Definitely. Uh, extra fun romps or extra out of the ordinary romps. Um, I had a fleet week 
<laughs> moment where I had a friend who is an ex-Marine who had some Marine friends. I got to, like, have that fantasy played out. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. <laughs> um, what? Were you the main attraction? I was the main attraction, yeah. Wow. Yeah, for a few Marines. It was one where I was just like, <laughs> one for the books, cool. Like, never happened again, but, like, sure, cool, you're in San Francisco, one in Rome. And it's just one of those things that you could never make happen. It just, like, the right... I knew somebody who, like, just the right moment and the right time, and it was... When that's presented to you, you're like, of course, like, I'm going to go hang out in a hot tub with eight Marines. <laughs> sure, why not? Like, let's do it. Um, could, you, could you just briefly explain what Fleet Week is? Because some people might not know. Yeah, Fleet Week is just... It, it's um, it's naval, right? It's all naval. No, it's naval and aircraft, Right? I or is it all? It's all Navy. It's all Navy. Okay. Yeah. So it's just, a, it's it's a gathering in port cities um, where the Navy pulls in. And there's a bunch of military in the city. I saw somebody made a shirt recently that was a play on Fleet Week, but it was the Fleet Enema. It was pretty great. I was like, yeah, it's Fleet Week. Yeah. <laughs> I did drag for quite a while in San Francisco. And I never tricked in drag, ever. But... I ran into a, a fuck buddy once, and I ran into him in full drag at the nightclub. And I remember leaning in and like alerting him to who I was. And that moment of like on the dance floor, him stepping back and like giving me like a once over in full drag and being like, "Cool," <laughs> and like asking me what I was doing later, and me being like, "That's gonna." <laughs> and again, it was like, "This is all gonna come off." Like that's gonna, but like that's cool that like. You get it, and like you're like still like, and you gave me the like, the one the up and down in my like slutty dress, and like yeah, it was kind of cool. I was like, that's an intro, that's a, that's an evolved person. I like that. So that was kind of a thrill. <laughs> I think a fuck buddy is somebody, I mean, obviously who you're having sex with more than once. I think it's somebody who you know you have mutual respect for and like a friendly dynamic with but like you're not necessarily dating or you don't want to necessarily date that you have good sex with and like it's connected in a way beyond just a one night stand. You know, I think there are different dynamics in that too where they, it can ebb and flow in that like you are actually both actively excited about having sex with each other and you're doing it regularly because of that reason or just that it's somebody who like the sex is good and it's there and like it's kind of a means to an end without having to like search because it's comfortable. I think it can be a lot of different things. For me, it's, I mean, I don't have a lot of fuck buddies these days, but I, f- I feel like they're harder to keep in modern times. In modern, and I don't think the dynamic is as um, leaned upon or as valued as it used to be. I think, I think with, with the apps, it's just all about, like, the next exciting, shiny thing. Um, so I think even with people that I've had sex with in these modern times, where I think maybe 10 years ago it would have been a fuck buddy situation. I think it's just harder to nurture that now. I think it's it's fewer and farther between because there are just options everywhere and we're always on our phones. But for me, it's a friendly relationship with somebody who, you know, you're you're comfortable having sex with each other and you're comfortable keeping it at that. And there's not a lot of, there's no pressure for anything else. And it's, but it is friendly and it is rooted in a way that isn't, it doesn't have that like, randomness or that just meeting that person or that you know there is a familiarity to it just something slightly more rooted and and connected fuck buddies or something or friends with benefits or just any kind of friendly 
sexual dynamic is something that I've really, quite honestly, been struggling with in Los Angeles since moving back. It's something that, like, I just, I would love to nurture more, I think is really important. Um, but I think it's just, it's a hard thing, like I said, these days to really, like, I just think it's harder. It's every man for himself here, and it's very much like, I mean, it's just all about perception here, and, you know, people are kind of afraid of their own shadows in a lot of ways, which is interesting for a city so full of, like, stunningly beautiful people. It's just like, but yeah, I think it was easier in places like Detroit and Austin, and um, and San Francisco has it had its own. I think it's probably different now, since I've moved in the tech industry has changed the city, but when I lived there, it was, I feel like it was easier to find that or to at least nurture that. But I will, you know, even then I will say the apps just really, it, it changed things. It just did. Well, it removes the physical and the, the, the in-person chemistry from the equation. So, I mean, how many times on an app have you seen somebody's picture and been like, they're super hot and then you show up and they speak and you're like, not so much. Or photos aren't doing somebody justice and you meet them in person. And you're like, you're totally smoking. You see them perform or something and you're like, this is amazing. You're hot. Like it takes that out of the equation and like so much of human sexual chemistry is pheromones and chemistry and like eye contact and talking to somebody so there's that um it's also like shopping on a grid for sex in your pocket at all times i mean the number of problems with that are i can't even begin to to list I mean, it's not all bad. It's a way to connect us too. But it, but I do think that with having countless options, with having no accountability either, there's no personal accountability. So you can act however you want on an app, and you're basically like you're not going to get called out on your behavior. There's no accountability. So like the way people interact with each other is just wildly reckless sometimes, and full of shaming and full of just like it's just such a weird game to always be playing. I mean, am I on the apps? Yeah. Do I think that they serve a purpose that can be really beneficial? Absolutely. Have I also found myself spending way too much time on them and losing time that I should be more productive to them? Absolutely. So it's a really, like, it's a balance with those things. Um, they are a really hard tool to figure out how to work for you because they're inherently addictive and they're inherently meant to be disconnected and they're inherently digital. So I think much like Instagram or Facebook in the same way that it can, like, clinically show like there have been studies that have shown that like it can cause major depression and like suicide and horrible comparative thoughts and all these things they can also work for you if you can make them work for you so i just i try to just have a really like really strong bullshit filter and and i have filters in place with my with my online you know my, my app practices i mean i'm i'm still a condom user and in this day and age as silly as that sounds like that is a filter that is huge. Not in terms of like, that's not me prep shaming or saying that everybody should be using condoms, but the reaction that I get sometimes to people when I say that I use condoms, whoa. And like, if I get a heavy reaction or if I get condom shaming from somebody or if I get a scoffing attitude or being made fun of for that, that's a tremendously like off the bat like filter where I'm just like, cool, don't wanna fuck you anyway. Like, wow. By presenting that dialogue off the bat, I think I'm already kind of like challenging the people I interact with to like interact like an adult. Like, can we do this or can't we? Like, you know, and if you can't, then like, cool. You just did my a lot of my work for me. Um, I had a 23-year-old in Texas 
respond with condoms. <laughs> what is this, the 90s? I was just like, that is like the layers of disrespect that you just threw at me, like the layers of disrespect you just threw at your ancestors, like the, like the privilege in that statement. Like you just have, wow, like you're so untouched by this. You've managed to hear Texas and you're 23. You're not touched by this at all. You didn't lose your community. Like, how dare you? <laughs> what is this, the 90s? Oh my God. Wow. I don't think you experienced that when you're just kind of engaging with people in real life because you can kind of smell the crazy or, I don't know. I don't have any like recipe for it though. I really don't. I, I try not to spend a lot of time on them. I try to make my time interacting with people in a digital realm constructive as much as possible. You know, I don't drink anymore, so I don't go to bars as much anymore. I'm not doing drag, I'm not DJing, I'm not doing the things that I used to do in that world. So it's been a challenge socially. You know, where do you meet people? Um, how do you meet people if not in that world? And and when you are, when, you, when I do enter that world and I look around and I go, there's not a lot for me here right now. And that's a struggle. Yeah, I don't know, where do people meet these days? I, I really don't know. I've been told that I'm a pretty present lover. Like, I don't know, I, every situation is always different. Every lover is so different. Um, unless you're having very compartmentalized, like very casual, very disconnected, like I am going to be on the edge of my bed, ass up, you know, you're gonna come in and do, I mean like that kind of stuff can be navigated. And I think it's more easy to like come up with a routine or a move in that situation. But we know if you're having like connected or just any kind of rooted sex with people, I think it's always different. You know, I've tapped into like super hardcore top energy. I've tapped into super hardcore bottom energy. I've tapped into like the fun of doing both. I've tapped into like, you know, every lover brings something different out in you. Um, I like kissing a lot. Again, it, it's all circumstantial. I think if, it depends on if it's a casual thing, if it's a, if it's a post date with somebody who you're just getting to know, those are different. And you can have super connected, lovely sex with somebody who you pre-navigate with on Scruff that like, I'm a top, you're a bottom, like, this is, these are the rules, like, this is what we're going to do, you don't do oral or what, and you can still have a lovely connected time with that person and still engage in a great way. And I think that the apps can be great for that, for that kind of thing, for navigating what you're, what you're into and what your fantasies are. I think that's where the apps can be fantastic because it is a forum for exploring and for communication, assuming that you're dealing with respectful people who aren't shaming you for expressing sexual fantasies on a platform for sex, which is always amazing when somebody's like, shames you for like telling you whatever, again, like, <laughs> or like sends you a dick pic and then you send them one back and then they block you and you're like, they think it's rarer these days to have those situations where you just jump into having sex with somebody without any pre-navigation verbally. Um, it's kind of rarer these days to be like, I don't know if you're a top or a bottom or what, or if you're, First of all, I don't know what your deal is. I don't know if you like fisting. I have no idea. We're going to find out. Um, I think with everything being so out there now, I think that's rarer and rarer, which is kind of fun to like have that experience. I think asking questions is always great. I think talking is always great. But I also think that like reading a body is always great. And, you know, I've had those moments too where you just kind of jump into it with somebody and figure it out. I think for me, the biggest obstacle in my, in my physical and sexual journey was 
the first time I came down with psoriasis and I was hit with my first round of mm-hmm. like neck to toe, full body outbreak psoriasis, which was, has nothing to do with sex whatsoever. Has nothing to do with anything, it's genetics. I got a strep throat and it triggered an immune response in my body and it, it happened. And it happened, I was what, 30 maybe the first time I got my first outbreak. And I think for me, the challenging part was that I was reaching an age where I was coming into that time when you're supposed to like really be in your own skin and you're, you're not in your 20s anymore. You're supposed to be really feeling yourself and you know, claiming your sexual power. And, and I kind of was robbed in like an instant of like a lot of my like physical, physical, sexual, and in hindsight, I wasn't robbed of my sexual power, but like in my head at the time I was. Um, where it just sort of like my physical self was like something very different than it was a week ago. And it was something that I was going to have to deal with and that my lovers were going to have to deal with. And it was not going to just go away overnight. And this was something that I was going to have to be aware of in my life going forward. And it's, you know, intermission, everything's fine, but it's something that can always kind of, is always there around the corner potentially. And so it's been, you know, when that happened, navigating... Certainly casual sex was a completely different game. I wasn't wanting to have it as much. Um, If I was, it was certainly not of the same nature. I was feeling super vulnerable and super like exposed. So I wasn't really wanting that kind of sex. I was wanting more like, just somebody hold me. Like I wanted like tender, like I wanted connection. Um, And it was rough and it was a long journey of like getting that under control and, and figuring out what my body was was doing and reacting to and finding people that, you know, were were awesome and finding lovers that were like not bothered by stupid shit and, and, and another you know, talk about filters, another layer of a filter that was kind of like, okay, well this is this thing. You know, when I started dating my my boyfriend in Texas, he within the first week of meeting me gave me strep throat. And that for me is my big trigger for psoriasis. If I get if I if strep throat happens for some reason, that virus just is something that will trigger the outbreak. And so he gave me strep and I had to have that talk with him where I was like, so we've just met and we're really into each other right now. But like, you may have just given me something that like in a month or in two weeks, this might be something you have to deal with. And like, I am fully prepared for you to run, like, and that's fine. And it did come back and he did stick around. And so it was kind of one of those things where it was like, I have to be really upfront about what may potentially be happening. And there's no hiding from something like that. It's not like diabetes or, you know, even some STIs, you know, it's very, it's on the surface about as much as it possibly can be when it's there. That was a a journey in in self, in navigation with other people, in my own boundaries, my own needs out of lovers and and wants out of lovers. Um, that'd be the, I think that was the biggest like challenge in that realm or navigation, you know, bump in the road for sure. I miss cruising. That would be the one thing that I would say that I miss the days of like being excited about like meeting cute boys and the potential of like getting laid that night or going making out with somebody. I do miss that. I miss making eyes with somebody across a bar and like 
eye fucking and like I miss that. I miss hard cruising. I loved being in my twenties in San Francisco and just like cruising, like looking at people and like stopping on the street and exchanging a number or like I mean that's just there's such a heat to that that I just miss. One of the hottest cruising moments was actually not even with somebody that ended up being somebody I hooked up with. It was just the, the way it happened was so hot and that we were at a mall. I went up the up escalator as he was going down the down escalator. And like we stopped, I stopped at the top and he stopped at the bottom and like we cruised again. And then like we followed each other, like I was on the upper tier and he was on the lower and we like, we kept like following each other to the next, to the next escalator and then reconnected at the next escalator. But there was that whole like back and forth, like levels thing that was really hot that I loved. Actually, I had a really good hook, uh, not a hookup, but a good, really good cruise here not that long ago at the um, St. Vincent de Paul thrift store. And there was this like hot DL Latino guy, like not even that hot, just like kind of DL, like probably dad or something, but like hard cruised me in the like electronic section and did the whole like, he walked over to the bathroom and like looked behind him as he walked into the bathroom and like walked into the bathroom and I was like, shit that is happening right now yes and I totally followed him into the bathroom and like we didn't hook up like not, no, no hanky panky but like it was just this like he was peeing at the urinal and like looked over his shoulder and like we did say a hello and we did exchange numbers but it was like right like that like look over the shoulder going into the like, I'm gonna go to the bathroom right now <laughs> it was good I was like oh, okay mm-hmm. <laughs> it's good for the soul I don't know Love it. San Francisco made me so good at it. I just became so, so unabashed about it. My old roommate used to be like, Nathan, you can't look at people like that. And I'd be like, like hell I can't. Like, I moved here so that I can do, like, I'm not, who, what? Oh, I'm sorry. I think you're cute. Like, is that hard for you? Like, I'm not like being a gross person, but I'm not grabbing people or like making cat calls, but like, I'm looking at somebody who's hot. And if he looks back, I'm cruising. Like, I don't know, why am I here? Um, I did recently have a good one too, where I was, I'm kind of an aggressive cruiser. Like I, I have no shame about it. I was driving down Glendale, coming back from downtown, kind of in the, in the Echo Park area. And this boy was walking on the other side of Glendale, walking this way. And we totally, I was stuck in like, you know, five o'clock bullshit traffic. And we totally made eyes. Like he turned around a couple of times and I kind of looked over my shoulder a couple of times. And there was a break in traffic coming this way. And I full on flipped a bitch in the middle of Glendale like pulled my car into a Yui and like pulled up on the side of the road, like totally illegally and was like, hey. <laughs> he was like, he was like kind of shook by it. He was like, that was really hot. Did you just, I was like, yeah. I mean, like, it's not going anywhere. I'm not going to, I'm stuck in traffic. Like, whatever, it's fine. Hi, who are you? <laughs> he was like, wow. I was like, yeah. So yeah, I still have my moments. I just see that window in traffic and decide to make a U-turn in the middle of Glendale. <laughs> For no reason. <laughs> and, and is the opening line usually, hey? Yeah, or like, hi, how are you? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> Would you have to say anything when you've just flipped your car in traffic? Exactly. Like, I mean, it's and like, I don't have clearly made eye contact. I've rolled my way. I've literally just watched me make a U-turn in traffic and roll my window down and pull off to the side of the road. Like, we're not used to, like, it. We're not used to, in culture, like, being trained to look at somebody, and it's complicated too. The queer experience is completely different. I mean, the reason the cruising exists and the reason that we call it that is because it was in secret. Like, 
And that's why it's still a thrill. Like, it's that, like, this is our world. Like, none of these people at this mall with their kids have any idea what's happening right now. And then I'm about to follow you into a bathroom or, like, what our eyes are doing right now. And that's why it's, you know, it was our thing. It was our secret little kind of, like, hinky codes or any of that stuff. And it is different because here I am talking about, like, how much I love to, like, ogle people on the streets in a time where, like, in the straight world, like, for a straight man to ogle a woman like that or, like, hard crews like that is totally inappropriate. So, I mean, I get that it's a unique situation with gay men and I, and there is a, but there's a level of consent with it too. Like, you're not, cruising is different than, like, catcalling. Cruising is different than, like, groping somebody. Cruising is mutual. Cruising is, is a shared consensual moment of appreciation and of flirtation with the eyes. There hasn't really been anything where I've been like, God, if I could do that over again, I wouldn't, or I would, or I, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm pretty content with, like, my journey. Like, it's one of those where I'm just like, it kind of unveiled the way it was supposed to unveil. I'm like, I'm not, there isn't anything where I would have rerouted or maybe, a, you know, okay, so I think maybe my, my advice to myself sexually would be, or, or romantically would be not to take things for granted sometimes, I think. Especially with longer-term lovers, I think that it's easy to fall into just not appreciating sort of what you have in front of you um, at the time. And then you have those moments of like, it ends and you're like, my God, but uh, why wasn't, why weren't we fucking every day? Or like, why weren't, why, why did we fall into that weird spell of, you know, lesbian to bed death or what happened? Or I think that, you know, just in general, just pulling your head out of your ass a little bit in those situations and worrying less and, 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 and just being more present in the moment. But that's more about romance than it is about sex, I think. And spend less time online. <laughs> that's a good one too, I like that. We could all spend less time online, for sure. Because you really look at the hours logged on those things in comparison to like what you're actually getting out of them. Like, the murals I could have painted in those hours, it's just like, ay, ay, ay. You know, sex is just such a it's just so multi-layered and everybody's so different, you know, and I'm still learning and I'm still growing and I'm still getting over my shit. You know, I'm, I'm kind of sort of not dating, but engaging heavily with somebody who is a massage therapist and sex worker and that's new for me. And, you know, those navigation, it's, 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 I'm always learning, you know, there's always something new to learn and another like layer to peel away and <clears throat> a thing about your ego to challenge and... That's great. I mean, the human sexual experience is never going to hopefully ever be boring or old. It's always something new to learn. Fruitbowl interviews are edited for clarity and brevity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. Help support Fruit Bowl's efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and occasional bonus content. Larger donations and sponsorships are tax-deductible through Fruit Bowl's fiscal sponsorship with Seattle's Northwest Film Forum. 
Fruitbowl collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences. Cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, Black people, Indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions and news about future production. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com for links and contact information. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. I'm Sarah B. This has been a production of Cubed Media, LLC. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening.